uh, let's go to the Lord and the preaching of His Word. Communion meditation. We're going to be partaking of uh, communion again today. It's the first Sunday of the uh, month. So we've been teaching a series that I've entitled uh, Break Up Your Fallow Ground. Did you get your picture? Next week, pot bless. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Next week, pot bless. I need to go through all this stuff before uh, giving the announcements. Yeah. Pot bless. Uh, let's see. Um, let's have shop, sloppy joes next. Uh, next. Uh, yeah. Well. We usually have sloppy joes first and any leftover sauce we use for uh, spaghetti. We'll go with uh, sloppy joes. Okay. Reading in uh, God's Word, Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. Now the parable is this, the seed is the Word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones that hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they believe, should believe, and be saved. But the ones on the rock, those are <clears throat> those who, who uh, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a t- while, and then in the time of testing fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring uh, bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and pure heart, noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And uh, kind of the thing verse for this uh, series is uh, Hosea chapter 10 and the second part of uh, verse 12. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Father, we come before you, Lord, and uh, Lord, so often I rely upon my education and my teaching and preaching. Ability, Lord, and I don't lean solely upon you. Lord, you've said that uh, without you, I can do nothing. So, Lord, I just want to step out of the way and let your Holy Spirit minister to these, your people, Lord God. And may uh, your word penetrate our hearts, Lord God, and help us all to put it into practice, Lord, from the preacher on down, Lord. And uh, we thank you for visiting us with uh, uh, power and your strength. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been mentioning the parables of Jesus. The parables of Jesus were stories told by Jesus to the public at large during the course of his earthly ministry to illustrate spiritual truth. And most everyone, including his disciples at first, did not understand the spiritual meaning behind these parables. It said in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 
13, verse 10. And the disciples came to him, and, and they asked him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And part of Jesus' answer was found in verse 13 and 16. He says, uh, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor understand. But blessed are your eyes, your disciples' eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And then Mark chapter 10, verse uh, 34 Without a parable, he did not speak to them, that is, the people. And when they were alone, he was alone with his disciples. He explained all things to his disciples. So his uh, disciples got that little bit of extra curriculum. He explained to them what he was talking about with these parables. And he's also speaking to us, too, because we have the Bible and we can read about these parables and see them interpreted. Now we've been studying the parable of the sower in this uh, series. And uh, the story of the parable of the sower, should all know it by now, a sower went out to seed, sow seed and he spread seed all around on all kinds of soil. Some of it p fell on the path, which was very hard and exposed. And what happened to that seed? It says that the birds of the air came by and uh, uh, gobbled it up. So they stole the word out of the uh, uh, away and never got a chance to germinate. And also some of it fell among rocky soil and it sprang up uh, almost immediately, but because the soil was shallow, uh, with rocks underneath it, it uh, when the sun came out, it dried up the plants and they withered and died. Others fell along stor uh, uh, thorny ground and the thorns came up and they choked the uh, uh, young plants and they became unfruitful. But finally there was the uh, seed that fell on good ground which sprang up and uh, brought forth into full fruition and bore fruit to sometimes uh, 100-fold, 60-fold, and one, or 30-fold according to uh, Jesus in the parable. Okay, so we have studied that. Uh, he gave the explanation to this parable in all three synoptic gospels. What are the synoptic gospels? Who knows what they are? They're the first three gospels that we find in the New Testament. And they all follow each other uh, fairly close. You know, you have the same stories, a lot of times the same parables, although uh, Luke has a lot of parables that the other two synoptic gospels do not have. So in all three of these synoptic gospels, the parable of the sower is uh, expounded, and then Jesus gave the explanation. We saw that the seed that fell by the uh, path or wayside represents the person that hears the word, but because of the hardness of their heart, it uh, does not, the seed does not germinate, and Satan comes by and then steals it, steals the word out of the hearts of those that it does not germinate in. 
The seed that uh, germinates on rocky ground is that which germinates but has rocks in it, and then the plants dry up and die. Seed that germinates on thorny ground germinates, but the worries, cares, and of this world, along with other things, as we're going to see today, because we're going to cover that thorny ground, uh, choke it, and the plants become unfruitful. But the seeds that fell on good soil spring up and bear much fruit. Now, the thing that I've tried to emphasize in this series is each person is responsible for the condition of his or her heart. Therefore, we need to break up our fallow ground, as it says in uh, Hosea uh, chapter 8, uh, verse 12, so it will be productive for the Lord. Further insights of the parable of the uh, sower. Uh, as I brought up before, the, the initial reading of the parable indicates kind of a one-shot deal. That the sower goes out and sows the seed in one shot. But uh, uh, that the truth is, you know, you know, it, uh, the seed is constantly being sowed, sown in our uh, <clears throat> in in our hearts, and we have got to be ready to receive it. You know, nowhere is this more true than the United States of America, where we have constant exposure to the Word of God. You know, you get exposed to it here in this church and uh, other churches throughout the land. And also now with the uh, uh, preponderance of uh, uh, gospel preaching over the radio, the TV, and uh, the Internet, you've got... Anytime you want the Word of God, you can go out and find it very easily. But Jesus' warning is to us, and when he said in Mark chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 13, verses uh, 14 and 15, then the prophecies of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes are, have been, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they understand with their hearts in turn, should, that I should heal them. I've told you before about what Chuck Smith, uh, I'm sorry, Chuck Swindoll, used to say, be very careful that you do not traffic in unlived truth. Make sure when you hear the truth that you put it into practice into your life. So hopefully that's not true of us. Okay. It's not true of us that is not putting it into practice. Today I'm going to cover the thorny soil. And uh, I was reading the ex I read the explanation already in the all three synoptic gospels, and uh, uh, the explanation of the thorny soil is in Matthew 13, verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Mark says, 
Mark chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And finally, in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, uh, Jesus said, Now the ones that fell among thorns are they who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. So, what are the thorns in the parable? You know, I was thinking that uh, just like the weeds that grow here on our properties, there's different kinds of uh, thorns. You know, here in the, the weeds on the property, you know, the foxtails come out very early. And then you have the tumbleweeds. And uh, later on in the year, you have the uh, bullheads that come up. You got different kinds of these thorns or weeds, right? Well, just like uh, that, you've got uh, uh, three different classifications. At least I grouped them into three different classifications, the kinds of uh, uh, thorns. First of all, there's the worries and the cares of this world. And I'm going to go through these in more detail a little bit later on. This means just what it says, that it's the normal grind of day-to-day living. You know, and this can distract us from what should be our top priority. What should be our top priority? The Lord should be our top priority, right? We should do, you know, the song that we were listening to just a few minutes ago. You know, seek you in the morning and learn to walk in his ways. And step by step, you know, he'll lead us. So we have to submit ourselves so that he can lead us. You know, if you're not going to submit to the leader, you're not going to go anywhere in your Christian life. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay? In other words, the the worries and the cares of the world represent the things that we must do. And what are the things that we have to do? You know, well, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on. Then there's the deceitfulness. That is the... Riches deceive you. They lead you astray. And this can graduate graduate into the love of money. And the love of money leads you into the sin of covetousness. That is, you covet things that don't belong to you. Which, according to Paul, is tantamount to idolatry. In Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 5, he said, uh, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then there's the desire of other th- for other things, according to Mark, or, as Luke puts it, the pleasures of life. Now, what these represent from person to person, well, you know, it means something different to each one of us. It speaks to us of what? It speaks to us really about what we do in our spare time. You know, the first one, you know, the worries and cares of the world, those are things that you have to do. But the ones here, the desire for other things, speaks to us about what we do in our spare time. Now, before going any further, 
I want to say this. We need to consider the end result of the different kinds of uh, uh, soil. Remember, I I told you that the plants in this parable might represent the image of Christ that should be growing in us. You know, and hopefully germinating, it uh, should be growing and reproducing. The soil by the wayside represents people that hear the word and do not believe, so they are never born again. The plants never even get a start. The image of Christ never even gets a start in the, their life because they are never born again. The rocky soil is those that hear the word and receive it, but then they cease to believe. Note that the plants dry up and die. That is, the plants actually germinated, but they dried up and died. So this, to me, means that it is possible to fall away from the faith and lose salvation. This is contrary to what the once saved, always saved people. They say, well, if you fall away, that's proof that you were never born again in the first place. But to me, the rocky soil contradicts that. And there's plenty of other uh, scriptures that I won't go into that prove that you can fall away and lose your salvation. So that's a a word of caution to all of us. Paul said uh, to examine yourself to make sure that you are in the faith. Okay, and then the thorny ground means those that germinate and are choked by other things and never become productive. I think it's significant. It says that the plants, doesn't say the plants die. It says that the plants become what? It become, they become unproductive. Okay? And of course, the good soil represents those who, uh, whose lives produce fruit, both in ministry and also in the fruit of the Spirit. So we're to be fruitful. We're to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness, patience. We're to display those fruits, the manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But we're also to get involved in some kind of ministry and produce fruit in that respect too. Get a teaching ministry or get a uh, ministry of uh, soul winning. Or get a ministry of help. Something that you can do for the Lord. Now one more thing before I move on here. This is a new thing that I just found out this uh, past week. When I was uh, reading through J. Vernon McGee's commentary on this. And I decided to see what he had to say about the thorny ground. And he brought an insight in there that I thought was very interesting. Remember I told you, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, that we as Christians have three enemies in life. What are these enemies? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, what's interesting is that these three enemies are represented right here in the parable, but in the reverse order of what I gave you. Okay, so what happened with the soil that fell on the path. Soil was hard. And what happened to it? The devil came by and stole the word, right? 
So who is the problem right there? That third enemy that I told you, the devil. Okay? And then the flesh, I'm sorry, the, the, yeah, the, the flesh is the problem with the rocky soil. You know, it's the flesh that makes us shrink back from the work that God wants us to do. You know, we can also suffer sickness or financial loss or maybe we lose a loved one. And these embitter us towards God. This happens in the fleshly realm. You know, sickness, you feel sickness or some debilitating injury and you blame God for it. You know, you're suffering in your body. And then Jesus mentioned the fear of persecution. You know, persecution causes these people to uh, fall away. Okay? Now, you know, this kind of happened to uh, Peter, didn't it? He was afraid of persecution initially. He went with Jesus along with James and John in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, they went a little further into the garden. And then Jesus said, you know, uh, just to stay here. And he went off and prayed by himself. And he came back and what happened? What were the disciples doing? They were sleeping, right? And what did uh, uh, Jesus say? Watch that you do not fall into temptation because... The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then, you know, I never thought of it before. I just thought of it uh, uh, the other day, uh, yesterday, when I was preparing uh, the message here. That flesh is what, uh, because Peter's flesh was weak, what did it lead him to do? It led him to deny him. Why did he deny him? Because he was afraid of that persecution. He was afraid that he was going to get thrown into prison too, maybe get flogged or even crucified. So his flesh shrank back from that. So Peter was still ruled by the flesh up until that point. It was only until the day of Pentecost that he allowed himself to be ruled by the Spirit. And that's what we're to be doing too. We're to be ruled by the Spirit and not our flesh. Amen? Okay, so the flesh was the problem with the rocky soil. And thirdly, the world is the problem with the thorny soil. Worries of and cares of this world. And the lust and pleasures of it distract us. So that we do not become all that God wants us to be. And to be productive for his work, his kingdom here on earth. Now let's go through these types of thorns one at a time. First of all. There's the thorn of the worries and cares of this world. That is, we become preoccupied with the normal grind of day-to-day living. In other words, you know, these things are the busy things that we must do. We have to work for a living, right? We have to care for our families. We have to prepare meals. We have to do housework. 
Some of us pursue education. Well, if you do education, you not only spend a lot of time in class, but also you spend a lot of time at home studying and also doing homework. We've got to go shopping, right? I mean, the groceries don't just come to us. Now, I'm talking about the shopping for necessity. You know, not shopping for leisure, you know, which uh, some people do. You know, you ladies are especially guilty of that. No one here, of course, except for maybe Dolly and uh, Trevi. You know, they spend a lot of time in the thrift store. Of course, Trevi does it kind of uh, as a living. She buys stuff at the thrift store and then sells it on eBay, so... That's kind of shopping for necessity for her. Now, these are all very legitimate in themselves, right? But they can distract us from what should be our top priority. That is, we the top priority should be the Lord and learning to get quiet before Him on a day-to-day -day basis. Read His Word, spend time with Him in prayer. The remedy for this is to make sure you give the Lord top priority in your life. So you learn to arrange your life and your schedule so that you have time for your own, uh, you have your own personal time of fellowship with Him on a daily basis. And we're not to worry. Do not worry. Instead, you pray for God's guidance and comfort. Paul told the Philippians, Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in all everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's our series we've been talking about on prayer, or, or praise, you know, uh, thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard in your, your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Don't worry. Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's another song. You know, every time you know when I get, get these songs beforehand, you know, I do it in a theme with the message I'm going to give. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Whatever is besetting you, whatever you're worrying about, take your worries to the Lord and let Him worry about it. You don't have to worry. And then Jesus said, Therefore, do not worry. Do not worry. Saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek... And your Father, Heavenly Father, knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, everything that you're worrying about, is going to be added for you. <clears throat> Therefore, verse 34 of Matthew chapter 6 do not worry. Therefore, do not worry. 
about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I like the King James. It says, sufficient for each day is the trouble thereof. You know, we don't say it that way now, but it's kind of really poetical language. So when you come down, right down to it, brothers and sisters, worry is a sin, right? It's a sin of not trusting God fully. And it disobeys the command that we read about over and over again. Do not worry. God doesn't want us worrying, but he wants us to learn to depend solely on him. He wants us to learn to pray and leave everything into his hands. Amen? So much for the worries and cares of this world. But you know, brothers and sisters, you can get involved in that. And even if you're involved in Christian work, you can get too busy doing Christian work and you neglect God. <clears throat> you know, this can even happen to those that are serving him diligently. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, we read an interesting little story there. Now it happened as they went that he, he, that is Jesus, entered a certain village. It was the village of Bethany, by the way. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with so much serving. She said, I've got to do this. I've got to serve the Lord. I've got to do this and so I can prepare a big meal for him, Lord. And then he'll uh, uh, love me that much more. I've got to do all this stuff. And she got tired of just, it was her that was doing all the preparations. And Mary, is, her sister Mary, is just sitting there at Jesus' feet, just uh, you know, listening to him and drinking in every word. And so she <clears throat> approaches Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to come and help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is ne needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. So Martha was so worried about all these preparations, getting this big meal. And Jesus said, it's not necessary, Martha. You know, you, you don't have to spend that much time preparing the meal. I just want you to, you know, kind of follow Mary's example too. Just sit at my feet and just listen to me. And it says, you know, she's chosen, Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken from her. Now, that very thing happened to the church at Ephesus. You know, in the book of Revelation, I, you know, gave a series one time on the... Uh, uh, seven churches of the book of Revelation. And the very first church he deals with, Jesus speaks to, was the church at Ephesus. And this is what he had to say. Now unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, 
These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. The golden lampstands represent the seven churches. I know your works and your labor and your patience. You see that? Works, labor, your patience, and how you cannot bear them that are evil and has tried them who say that they are apostles and are not and found them liars. And you have borne and have patience and for my sake have labored and not fainted. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you are fallen, and repent and do the first works. Remember, the first works was giving total devotion to the Lord. Or else I will come quickly, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place, except you repent. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So, the church at Ephesus, they were doing everything right. Right? With all their labor, working hard for the Lord. But they weren't doing everything right because they left their first love. So that's a warning to all of us that are involved in Christian service. And I hope that somebody, everybody here in the congregation is involved in some kind of Christian work. If you need any wisdom about that, come see me and I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about it. And I'll tell you works that you can be doing for the Lord. We all need to be busy for Him in some capacity. But never forget that no matter what you do for Him, you cannot leave your first love, which is the love for the Lord. He's got to be your top priority. The second kind of thorn in your life could be the deceitfulness you know, Matthew and Mark say deceitfulness of riches. What does deceitfulness mean? You talk about somebody being deceitful, it means that they try to deceive you. They try to lie to you. And they blind you. You know, it talks about the deceitfulness of sin. I've quoted that verse to you from Hebrews. Take heed that none of you be blinded by the deceitfulness of sin. This can become the sin of covetousness. And again, Paul says that it's tantamount to idolatry in Colossians 3.5. Jesus also said, what did he say? You cannot serve God and... God and money, mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve both God and money. There's a very interesting passage in Luke chapter uh, 12, starting at verse 15. And Jesus said to all the people, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. And then Jesus went on to tell this parable. 
And he spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no place to bestow my crops. I have no place to put my crops. And he said, This I will do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, bigger ones. And then I will store away all of my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many, much goods stored up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. So notice he didn't give the abundance that he had away to the poor. He kept it all to himself. Verse 20. But God said to him, Thou fool! For this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then whose uh, shall those things be which you have provided? So is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You're going to leave it all behind, brothers and sisters. All the things that you've got in your house and your house itself. You're even going to leave your physical body behind. Somebody once said you never see a uh, hearse towing a U-Haul. Right? I read about one rich man one time who uh, died. And he was very wealthy. So somebody came up to his uh, uh, lawyer. Said how much do you leave behind? You know what the lawyer said? All of it. He didn't take a single penny with him. It all got left behind. We're born into the, this world having nothing but our physical body. And as I said, when we leave this world, we're going to even leave that behind. So that means we need to be laboring for eternal riches. Amen? Not for material riches. James wrote in James chapter 4, verse 13 through uh, uh, 16. He says, Come now, you will say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And of course, Paul wrote to Timothy, warning of the, those that were peddling different errors. 1 Timothy chapter 6. You know, when I read 1 Timothy chapter 6, I wrote at the top of my Bible, God's value system. Paul warns about people, useless wrangling, lang, wrangling of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. 
And God knows we got a whole cadre of preachers that are out there hawking this prosperity gospel. One of them I heard, uh, you know, he would stand up in front of uh, uh, the big auditorium, his TV audience, and he, he said to them, how do you like my new suit? And he got some applause for it. He says, you ought to like it. You paid for it. That's the attitude that these people have. You know, they hawk this prosperity and then point to themselves, you know, how wealthy I am. And see, it works. And they play upon the greed of people. Jesus himself, it says that he was, uh, you know, he was rich, but he became poor. He humbled himself. And so don't seek after wealth. Paul continues on there. From such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. It's great gain because you're gathering not material wealth here on earth, but eternal wealth in heaven. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing... With these we shall be content. That used to always get me, you know, when I was kind of wrestling with this early in my uh, real close Christian walk, way back in 1975. I looked at what Jesus said, you know, when a person said, well, I'm going to follow you, Lord. And Jesus uh, said to him, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So usually we always think of food, clothing, and shelter as being the three necessities of life. But Paul and Jesus cut it down to just two, food and clothing. Verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and snare. So the fault is the person that desires to get rich. And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in perdition, Destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You know, that's got to be one of the most misquoted verses that's in the Bible. People going around say, well, the Bible says that uh, money is the root of all evil. No, it doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's literally what the, the uh, original text means. People love money, and it uh, is the root of all kinds of evil. It causes people to get, become drug dealers, get involved in organized crime, prostitution, human trafficking and smuggling, all kinds of extortion and things like that. Root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. They call, cause all kinds of people a lot of sorrow and themselves too because they're pursuing and serving this idol called mammon, covetousness. And they will never be happy in life. The third kind of thorn 
is what do you do in your spare time? Mark calls it this desire for other things. And Luke says the pleasures of life. Now, as I mentioned before, what this uh, represents varies from person to person. What does it mean to you? It speaks to us of what we do in our spare time. That is, what is our priority? Is it the Lord or not? What do you do in your spare time? You read? You watch football games or other sports? You watch TV? Go to the movies or go shopping? You play video games? You know, so many of these things are just time wasters if we don't have time for the Lord. I'm not saying that they're illegitimate. But if they're robbing us of our time with the Lord, then they are wrong. They are just time wasters. You're just filling up time with these empty pleasures, these empty uh, things. And in our modern American society, Never has it been easier to engage in these time wasters. Started out with radio maybe a hundred years ago. And then in the 50s and 60s, TV came along. I know because that was uh, my generation. Then in the 80s, video games came along. And then in the 90s, the internet, and now social media. How many people, people spend so much time on social media these days? You know, these are just time, these can be just time wasters if they rob us of our time with the Lord. Okay, I'm wrapping up now. You know, you have the uh, uh, story of the, it's, uh, the par- called the parable of the uh, Great Supper. It's found in uh, uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 17 through uh, 24. Then Jesus said to them, A certain man gave a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for things are all ready. All things are now ready. And they began to make, with one consent, they began to make excuse. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground, and I have to go and see it. I pray you uh, have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to prove them. So I... Pray, uh, have me excused. So, property, and first one, you know, bought a piece of land. Possessions, and the second, and you bought these yoke of oxen. And another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So, passion. Property, possessions, and passion. These took priority over going to this supper uh, that this great man gave. And who is the great man in the parable? That was the Lord, right? 
The marriage, you know, this speaking of the marriage supper of the Lamb is a foreshadowing also of the marriage supper of the Lamb, which hopefully every one of us is going to be at. You're a Christian, you'll be there. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. And then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring here the poor, the lame, uh, the, the maimed and the lame and the blind. These represent the people that are broken by life. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you have commanded, yet there is still room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. And for I say to you that none of these men who <clears throat> were bidden shall taste of my supper. They were too busy. Doing the other things in life. So the two key verses there come for not things are all all things are now ready, and those men who invited shall not taste of my supper. Jesus also spoke of the uh, days before Noah. He says that they're going to be busy doing their thing. Marrying and giving in marriage. And then he went on to, to liken it to the uh, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from Herod, heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming. And if he doesn't come within our lifetime, you know what's going to happen to you? One of these days, you are going to be leaving this earth. It's a fact. Like my mentor, Dr. Walter R. Martin used to say, death rate is still one per person. So it all comes down to this, brothers and sisters, a matter of priorities. Is the Lord a priority in your life or not? Or are there other things that are crowding him out of our lives and choking off our production for him? So I want to get really personal to you this morning, brothers and sisters. What are the thorns in your life? What are the thorns in your life? What is choking off your relationship with God and making you unproductive for Him? You know, something only you can tell me what it is. Only you can tell me or tell God what are the thorns in your life. Let Him deal with you about that. Just as important is are you willing to uproot those thorns in your life so that you can become productive? All this is part of the whole theme of the whole series. Break up your fallow ground. And part of breaking up the fallow ground of your heart is rooting up the thorns so it no longer troubles you. Now I want to give a concluding song and uh, I just heard this song uh, this past week 
Uh, there's a program I like to listen to from the Sunlight uh, Broadcasting uh, Network, hosted by Donnie Swaggart, called The Story Behind the Song. And he was talking about a song that I'd never really heard of before. It's written by a young man by the name of Martin Lefevre. And he wrote it while he was still a teenager. He had just gone into the army and he sat down. You know, Donnie Swaggart said he wrote that thing in, in a mere 20 minutes. And his <clears throat> parents heard the song. They really liked it. And so they were gospel singers. And they were going to this uh, uh, big kind of jamboree. It was in a huge auditorium. I think it was in Memphis, Tennessee. You know, they were southern gospel singers. And so they had him get up there, Martin Lefevre, and he sung it for this vast crowd. And you know who was in that audience? I'd say luck would have it, but I don't believe in luck. I believe in the Lord's providence. You know who was in that uh, uh, audience? None other than Elvis Presley. And Elvis Presley heard that song and it struck a chord with him. This is way back in 1962. And he went backstage to meet Myron, uh, uh, you know, and he said, Myron, I really like that song you sang. And he says, I want to record it myself. And he just happened to be cutting a new album at the time. And it was the title of the album was How Great Thou Art. And so Myron Lefevre's song found its way onto that album. And here he is living on... This salary is a low-grade airman, or I'd say airman, I, I mean private, you know, in the army. Believe me, he didn't earn very much. I know, because I, when I was, I started out in the Air Force, I was getting all of $110 a month. Of course, I had my room and board, so, you know, that was something else. But that's all I got, 110 a month. And so he was probably earning well less than $100 a month at the time. And all of a sudden, Elvis cuts this album. It's a runaway, you know, bestseller. You know, one of the best-selling records of all time. And so Myron got all the royalties from that. And so overnight, you know, he's got all of this wealth. And he bought new cars and things like that. He got out of the army, and his uh, family wanted him to continue touring with them, you know, these gospel singers. And he says, no, I want to be a rock and roll singer. So he went out and struck out on his own. He had a little bit of success, and then he went over to England. And this is the time of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Eric Clapton, and he's palling around with them and doing recording sessions with them. And his career as a rock singer just took off. Now, for a rock singer, this is back in the late 60s, early 70s. For a rock singer at the time, you know, there's a lot of baggage that goes with that. Of course, there's a lot of girls and everything. You're a rock singer at the time. You know, there's just thousands of girls that are willing to fall at your feet, you know, and do whatever you, uh, you know, um, whatever you want, you know, with uh, them. And, of course, he got into alcohol. You know, he, he had this emptiness. Even though he, he had recorded this song, and it's, it's a beautiful song, he recorded this song years earlier, 
He wasn't living it. Instead, he was empty inside. And so he's filling it up with his drug, uh, the, the alcohol and drugs. He became a heroin addict. And he started suffering all kinds of physical difficulties. He had a bleeding ulcer. He was coughing up blood and he was wasting away physically. And he said, I don't want to die here in this foreign land. So he went back to America. And he found himself in a hospital. He was so wasted away. And his father came to uh, uh, meet him. Now, his father was a different case entirely. His father, you know, was involved in all these, you know, uh, gospel singings. But he didn't have that heart to heart with the Lord. He was just going through the motions. It was just an occupation. Just like the church at Ephesus. Right? And I don't know what happened. I think it was maybe because his father just had to go to his knees and just pray for his son because his son was dying. And it changed his life. And he went to see Myron there at the hospital and Myron could tell the difference that Jesus had made in his father's life. And he said, God, if you can do this for my father, you can do this for me. And he gave his heart to the Lord. And to make a long story short, it, it, it turned his life around. He gave up that rock music career and he started singing for the Lord. And he was 17 in 1962. I guess that means he was born about 1945. So he's in his late 70s. And he just even today, he's still singing and preaching and teaching and serving the Lord. Who can understand, you know, the moving of the Spirit? But we're going to queue up this. And uh, uh, I'd like for the uh, elders to come up now. We need to... Um, distribute the elements uh, Freddie and uh, Sarah if you would come forward and just think about this think about the way that God transforms who can understand the moving of the spirit everybody's story is different but that little that teenage boy who wrote this song had yet to really experience it. And it wouldn't come until later on when he really, truly gave his heart to the Lord. So, come forward if you would, uh, uh, Sarah. Go ahead and cue that up if you would. Uh. Without him, we can do nothing. Without him, I could do nothing without him. I truly fail without him. I would be drifting like a ship without a sail. Jesus, 
preparing this message, I was thinking how much those two men, Myron and his father, re represented two of the kinds of soil that we're talking about. Myron was the rocky soil, right? And when he turned to the Lord, he had to get rid of those rocks in his life. Not just the rock of alcoholism, drug addiction, sex, but the underlying rocks too. His own personal pride and his ability and his, the rock of his self-will. He had to get rid of those. On the other hand, his father, who was just going through the motions, serving the Lord like the people at the church of Ephesus, but he still didn't have that heart-to-heart -heart relationship with the Lord. He represented the thorny ground, and he had to get rid of the thorns there and give the Lord for top priority. And the thing about this, brothers and sisters, it's a symbol to us that no matter where you are with these soils in your heart, you can turn to the Lord and give Him first priority in your life. Amen? That's the lesson for us. So, for the self-examination, remember there's a twofold uh, purpose. Uh, bring, bring back up that uh, PowerPoint if you would, uh, <clears throat> Susie. 
we can turn to the Lord. And if we've got thorns in our life, again, this is, remember the twofold purpose here. Twofold purpose of communion. Number one, it's self-examination. Let a man so examine himself. You examine yourself so that you will not partake of the elements in an unworthy manner. And number two, of course, is to remember the Lord's death. And the Lord's death breaks the power over sin in your life. The Lord's death and His blood gives you the power to remove those rocks out of your life. To remove the thorns out of your life. So let's think about that. Hallelujah. Reading from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night that he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the, what this bread represents. Lord, it represents your broken body for us on the cross. And Lord, how you endured such suffering in order to go there. Lord, it started when they tore open your back, Lord, with those whips, Lord, the cat of nine tails. And Lord, then you had your brow pierced with that crown of thorns. And then they led you away. You carried the cross, but you were too weak at that point to uh, bear it up. And so they had to get Simon of Cyrene to bear it the rest of the way for you. And Lord, you went to that cross and you had your hands and feet nailed to that cross. And then to prove that you were dead... Once your earthly life had uh, expired, they pierced your side, Lord, with a spear so that blood and water ran out. A symbol that your plasma had separated from the red corpuscles to signify that you had indeed died physically there on the cross. Lord, this is what this bread represents. So we thank you, Lord, for being willing to endure that suffering for us. Okay, everybody partake now. <laughs> 